welcome to season four, episode two of the I'm with RJ show. That's me, motherfuckers. All right. We have a really amazing episode in store for y'all today. If you didn't catch episode one of season four, that was with Sam Noble, aka Sammy Axiom, Axiom Hash, California hash maker, uh, taking a big page from Frenchie Cannoli and that whole playbook and really running with it, taking it to the next level from a product development standpoint. So if you haven't caught uh, our season four premiere with Sam Noble of Axiom Hash, listen to this and then go back to that. That's definitely how to do that for sure. But in that episode, if you caught that with Sam Noble from Axiom Hash, we talked about a person named Claire. And season four, episode two is all about this person. So without further ado, let's welcome Claire Taylor to the I'm With RJ show. What's going on, Claire? What's up? How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for the season. Hell yeah, it's, it's going to be a very good season. I think it's important to note that one of the main reasons that you're here specifically on your own today is that we'll be hearing a lot more from you in season four. Yeah, are we going to let them know what's up? Yeah, I think like, like it's good to start off. Like I'm a Mike Tyson. I like to punch people in the face and then see what happens. So like Claire Taylor is definitely a part of the I'm with RJ family season four co-hosts and hopefully you'll be able to crush the responsibilities of being the season four I'm with RJ co-host and taking the reins from from young Billy McCarthy. Do you feel like you're ready to to fill? I mean, he probably has small feet, but are you ready to fill some sort of midsize dude shoes? <laughs> I was going to say I'm ready to fill some shoes. Fill some shoes. Um, Shout out Billy, but I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun cool yeah well Clara like I said will be here for season four if she makes it maybe she'll be here for season five but again if uh you're new to the I'm with RJ show obviously we are talking all things cannabis we're looking back at the legacy operations we're looking forward at corporate cannabis and legal cannabis we're talking about pretty much anything that you ever want to learn from sort of the insider perspective taking what we know about the day-to-day the brands the markets that are out there and applying it to conversations with executives and hands-on folks but specifically season four is all about people working for licensed cannabis companies. Whether that's someone like Claire, who's been on sort of the ground forces level, or that's, you know, someone like Sam Noble, again, episode one, the owner of Axiom Hash there. Season four will be filled with other license holders. We'll also be broadcasting from MJ Unpacked, which is pretty exciting. That's going to be pretty fun. Vegas, Claire, are you excited about that? Yeah, we're very excited. I'm, I can't wait. Yeah, so it's going to be cool to be able to go out to Vegas with MJ Unpacked, shout out to, to George Jage, who was on the uh, the last episode of season three, but shout out to George and his team, So Wilder as well. One of the best people in the game for sure. But we'll be there, MJ Unpacked, uh, October 22nd, 21st, something like that. Uh, so if you're going to be in Vegas for that, get at us and would love to link with you for a drink. You can absolutely buy us a drink. Uh, we're happy to, <laughs> to eat your food for free, smoke your weed. We can tell you it's shitty. No problem. So yeah, get at us. Uh, social media at I'm underscore with underscore RJ on Instagram. You can email me directly, RJ at outcrowdgroup.com. We can definitely help you spend whatever budget you have. Not a problem. So Claire, uh, moving away from the fact that Billy McCarthy has been shipped out to you know, do other things that we're done with him and that you're now the co-host of the I'm with RJ program season four. Why don't you tell people a little bit about you? How did you end up being the co-host? What do you got going on in the cannabis space? Let's do a quick introduction here. So um, I've been on the ground level, the retail side of things for three 
plus years now, and I've gotten to really know the LA market and got to know RJ and been following his podcast. I started in Prop 215. Shout out to the trap. Shout out to the trap. As just a way to earn more money, it was another job. And I knew cannabis well from living in Santa Cruz. So after about a year there, I realized it wasn't worth my freedom to work, you know, there and happened to stumble upon a job at Cookies Melrose. Was there for about two years and then went to Wonder Brett's and you know bud tender manager type roles and then recently hired as a field sales specialist for candescent so now i'm on the brand side um but having that knowledge of kind of the ground level retail side is going to be invaluable i think not only for candescent in your new role on the brand side but also for the i'm with rj show season four being all about license holders you know, I think you've already, as y'all will hear, uh, especially in episode three with Marie from MD Numbers, Claire really brings a lot to the table here that even I haven't gotten to see as much. We're always excited about bringing in different experts to, and people that have different insider perspectives. Billy, being the finance guy, guy that structured the Abu exit, if you're into like fundraising and, and the financial side of the, the business, season three is a killer one with Billy McCarthy. But I think season four being focused on brands and your background is going to be really exciting. I've worked for several different cannabis organizations in the three years, four years that I've worked in this industry. And what's interesting is that there's common themes from, Mm. you know, trap days all the way up to corporate cannabis. Mm. That's interesting and something I unpack a lot of. Yeah, that'll be something to dive into here as well as throughout the other episodes. You mentioned Santa Cruz. Did you grow up in Santa Cruz? Like, how did you get into weed? Give us like the kind of the quick background of who Claire Taylor is. Yeah, I wasn't much of a stoner. Was raised outside of LA and didn't really get into weed until I got to Santa Cruz. Picked up probably the best Pineapple Express ever from dealer and then got into like really cool collectives there and people who were doing it for the medicine. And it's just ubiquitous in the culture there. What year was, was were you in that Santa Cruz? That was like Cruz? 2013 to 2017, and, 2018. Okay. So 2013 to 18, somewhere yeah, in that range. Yeah. And you were up there for college. Yeah. So that was like a really, must have been a really interesting time. Cannabis was exploding, especially the medical cannabis scene in, in California at that time was becoming so developed. And Santa Cruz is such a hit place. I mean, it must have been crazy to be in school out there at that time. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because it was so ubiquitous that it wasn't like I wasn't going anywhere that was licensed, maybe once in a while. It was still my local dealers, you know, my vegan bodybuilder who had, you know, crazy dogs. Like that was Santa Cruz. And just like really good weed everywhere. And I was just, you know, I had the magnifying glass with the lights and, you know, looked at all my strains and was really into it. I also had in like an education background so being a bud tender i always saw it as like an education role in that you know master of knowledge and yeah. like educating that yeah it reminds me a lot about uh, of being a pool guy and that you're like the the jack of all trades but you're the master of none as a yeah. bartender yeah uh, you're not paid though as a master of any and you really kind of aren't as well-rounded as you as you should be but that that's a whole nother different topic that has to do with the ownership of, of retail locations, not training their staff properly and brands not managing their, their brands probably. I think we'll get into that either in this episode, in the rest of the season, or just in both, I suppose. 
it was definitely nuts to go from, you know, a trap local neighborhood shop to Cookies, Melrose, West Hollywood, branded to the max. And so you kind of went like straight out of college into Cookies, Melrose. And so being, again, like young in one of the only LA dispensaries in the legalized market in a place at Cookies where it had such an interesting dynamic. What was that like? I mean, like for somebody who never shopped at Cookies Melrose, like set the scene of that and and kind of walk them through the experience of shopping there and then what it was like to be on the other side of that. Well, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, straight out of college, I went there because it didn't matter to them. (laughs) I was straight out of college. Um, I don't know what kind of picture that paints, but the customer experience that they cater to is that uh, luxury lifestyle and good weed and drops. You know, my location did sell a lot of high quality medical grade cannabis, and I always like appreciated that. So we did, you know, cater to that and I enjoyed you know making that experience happen Mm. for people it's like the it's like a Louis Vuitton of weed in some ways no I mean like you you can spend $800 on an an ounce easily all cash transactions with a line of 20 people right after that in the depth of the pandemic it's crazy how much of a shit show that brand became so quickly It, it had this moment in time where cookies was just so pure and it was so amazing And then it seems like the bottom just fell out when legalization happened and it became corporate cannabis for all intents and purposes. Did you experience that working there? Was it very corporate in terms of its environment or what was it like to work there? You know, I started out not knowing, you know, much about cookies and the brand of it, but quickly learned once I got there, the like cult following Mm. and that was some really good weed back in 2018, 19 that I worked there. But that quickly changed by 2020, 2021. And it wasn't the same quality. It was inconsistent. Even the customers were checking when batches and who was the cultivators of cookies strains. And it's like, whew, the inconsistency went like way down. And their brand for me all over from people I talked to, not only at my location, but in other states, whatever, just wasn't the same anymore. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned people checking who cultivated batches, but it's like, well, it's cookies, weed. So like, what do you mean? And it's like, it would be like if, if people had to check which plant made the Coca-Cola that you were drinking. Cause like the Iowa plant was better than the Jersey plant and, and you wouldn't want the Jersey plant Coca-Cola. And in reality is that every bottle or Coke bottle is different. The recipes are slightly different, but you don't notice it. You don't go place to place and say, this is different. So when a brand scales that quickly, but can't maintain quality, I mean, I think I think we both agree that that's a recipe for an all-stock acquisition that nobody really gets paid off the way they should. So it's very interesting to hear, you know, sort of the insider insight into to what it's like to work at a place like Cookies. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of other bud tenders out there have had similar experiences. Of I'm sure being excited to be working at a place that has uh, amazing weed uh, in some cases, but then loses its concern for quality and and focuses more on revenue and perceived value rather than the quality of the product that they're delivering. I can no longer stand behind the brand that I was selling. That's rough. I'm not that. Yeah. And so that that's kind of wild. So before we move to Wonder Bread, wildest story that you had from working at Cookies. And I don't want to talk about 
Well, you, you tell me the wildest story in your opinion. I don't even know if I have one. I would say the looting stuff. That's nutso. Nutso kablutso. I mean. You got to talk about that because that's, that. there's relevance there from a lot of different angles. Like, lots of different angles. It's justified looting, but it's probably not the place of all the places on Melrose to be looting. You probably shouldn't be looting the cookie store. That's full security. But even, even still that, like, why don't you go rip off the corporate well, furniture store across the street instead of cookies? And, and that's just still me being like, cookies is down for the community. But like, even if that's not true, it just seems like that's not the place you should rip off. And that's a theme throughout the looting situations back then. It was like the, the Black Lives Matter movement got confounded by people taking advantage of a situation and and there was a movement which was justified and then there was stupid shit happening sure. under the guise of a movement and and so tell this story anyways i mean the story itself is bonkers yeah i mean i'll say like the first time the protests went by this is george store. floyd right yeah around yeah. george floyd's yeah. murder yeah on melrose and king's they they didn't loot us like Vivian Westwood. Everyone else had been looted, and we were still making sales. And there was it was business as usual. But People were buying pre rolls to go loot Vivian Westwood. Basically, yeah. Cool. Respect. And, and they mean, walked past, and they were like, "Yeah, we're we're down. You know, we're not gonna fuck with you." But you know, the city was crumbling and like starting to burn, and right. there was nothing they were gonna do. And you know, I was off at three p.m. and I was like. I either stay here for the action alone or I'm like hightailing it out of here because it's actually not safe. And I left and I was glad I did. And I was just so concerned that the owner who was so out of touch with what was happening at his store, his employees that he's supposed to employ and protect. He was like, you guys stay on the floor and you know, there's looting that's going on. Like, how are these people going to get home? What's going to happen to the store? And you know, my manager almost barely made it out as the last one. You know, and that was at 5 p.m. And the store was like the store was looted. Store was looted. We reported back to work the next day to broken glass and plywood, and watching on the cameras like us getting looted. And that was like I worked there full time, was a leader. That was like my home had got tin invaded. It was intense for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was just common themes, you know, of cannabis owners not caring and valuing their employees from Prop 215 to cannabis, like legal 2020. So that's nuts. Yeah. To require you your know, people, workers to stay there while uh, people are looting, literally looting the store and your people are running out of the store as the looters are coming in, basically. It's, yeah. People, coworkers may or may not have left work and looted or gone on their break and looted and went right back to work. Or like, you know, you know, hush, but <laughs> it was hush. nuts. Looting on your lunch break. It sounds like a, an album or something. Okay. <laughs> so you dump cookies, you say goodbye to them and move on to greener pastures at the Wonder Belt Brett retail location. Thanks to RJ himself. Yes. Sent me the IG post. I said is hiring. You would belong at Wonder Bread. You don't belong at Cookies Melrose. And no disrespect to Cookies Melrose, but facts is facts, people. You want to buy an ad space, call me, but otherwise I'm gonna talk truth. So you moved over to Wonder Bread and helped launch Brett. What was that like? What was the experience of launching a dispensary in LA, uh, especially with the Wonder Bread situation, which is obviously a lux and the max in, in a lot of ways? Yeah, I would say different than cookies. Cookies, but it was also like cookies in that it was cool until it wasn't. 
but Wonder Bread was awesome. They were a breath of fresh air as a company and that like Brett, we were stalled in opening the retail space. Right. They were held up on licensing and sure. metric and so for a few months. And so we went to the grow, met Brett, met the team. And that was cool to see someone who was doing it for the passion still. And like, you know, this was his dream, a store opening of Brett, you know, from the 90s, OG, you know. So it was humbling and awesome. And they catered to us. Brands were very excited to be in Wonder Brett. And something that I knew, I felt as though I could work in cannabis working for Wonder Brett because of the team they were putting together for the retail. It was um, really thought through and they, Jamie created a great team. So that was one. And then the ethics of, or the ethos of the company felt real to me and the consistency was something that never faulted as right. cookies did so all three of those things appealed to me and then the store is gorgeous um yeah so let's break down a couple of things you talked about there first I, I like to talk about the consistency i think that's like a really interesting point is that i think no matter what wonder bread does in terms of scale so long as bread is involved in the growing aspect of it in some capacity like i think they'll maintain more brand control and bread quality than cookies has because burner was never cultivated burner was a trapper burner was a yeah. broker he never cultivated cultivated relationships not plants right whereas brett is a plant cultivator so his standards his standards aren't about selling the most it's about selling the best or growing the best maybe yeah. not even selling but maybe growing the best yeah, the producing producing unique high quality things right yeah the art of it yeah i think that's very clear that being said i think it's a challenge to scale the ethos yeah. In today's age, because there tends to be a lot of ego within middle management and people with their own agendas and their own desires and their own beliefs about the way things should work. And the top doesn't really touch the ground enough to know when the middle is kind of fucking off. And that's where shit goes right. It's like a game of telephone. Yeah. I... And so did you experience that at Brett at any capacity? Totally. I think that's another common theme that I've seen is an attitude from leaders of letting other employees or peers like dig their own graves out of the organization. But in the process, you're failing your business instead of just creating an environment that aligns with what you want to do. They are kind of just like cool with letting people do what they want for as long as they want. And like not just letting go of Yeah, I mean that's the curse that's the curse of of middle management again is that idea of people doing whatever they want and the results not being communicated to a decision maker in, in a way that there's an improvement that can be made. I mean yeah. you can't improve something you don't know about. And so you couple executive ego along with executive lack of visibility into actuality of what's happening. Why with the middle management person who doesn't give a shit, they just want to collect their check. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. And it's a recipe for disaster when you have an industry that can't write anything off on their taxes and can't get funding like a regular industry can. Uh, middle management in a billion dollar tech startup. You need those people that fucking keep spending money. There's no way to spend money without people that don't belong there. But a cannabis company that doesn't have money can't have people that don't belong there. Yeah. And think that they're going to find success. Yeah. I think it's another, th yeah. there's still just a stigma of like butt tenders being looked down upon from honestly any level, any which way you look at it. 
And it's like you become, how long do I have to stick with a company that doesn't value like my knowledge, skills, experience? And it's just frustrating. Yeah, especially when you're not very often the bud tender is not trained in any real capacity on how to sell these products. Maybe the brand comes into this training, but if, if you were to work at a tequila bar, I'm pretty damn sure they would test you on all those tequilas so that you would have you would know each one of these tequilas, what they taste like, what they do, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't just go in there and willy-nilly sell things that oftentimes you'd never have a sample of. Now, Wonderbread was interesting because they got a lot of samples from brands. Yeah. But a lot of other bud tenders don't ever even try the brands they're selling. Yeah. So if you've never tried something, how can you recommend it? It's like yeah. it's like if I was to ask you how a pizza was and you were like, and you were to pizza parlor and I was like, how's a pizza? I don't I don't eat pizza. Yeah. Well, what the fuck? You, yeah. What are you doing working at a pizza yeah. store for, man? Yeah. Like, how am I supposed to get a recommendation for something that the person I'm asking and should be relying upon to get a the recommendation it has no fucking clue? Yeah, well, that's something I appreciated from the managers and the buyer at Wonderbrett was they championed for us to get samples. And they, them and the brands that we worked with understood that buttenders are the leading force in like selling your product. And they knew that we needed samples in our hands to be able to sell these products. And that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the whole thing kind of goes back to the money thing. It's like if people had unlimited marketing budgets, they would be lacing you up, but they can't, yeah. they can't, there's a limited access to funding or there's a, a limited understanding of how to properly spend that funding because you want to pay a CMO 150 grand so they could drive a Tesla around, but they can't figure out how to market products properly. It's very interesting dynamic to be a bud tender. I, I must imagine that part of that, that dynamic is why you moved over to the brand side and they're now working with Candescent. Yeah. Candescent is on that same vibe of consistency like Wonder Brett. They've been around for a while and I would say they've done a good job in improving their consistency. So that was why I felt like it was a brand that I could get behind. Totally. Because at the end of the day, like I'm for and about the flower and the power of it. So it's been cool moving to the brand side. Like I said, the my experience in, in stores and selling the actual product and hearing feedback from actual customers is great for this role. And so with Candescent, it's it's a really interesting product at the end of the day. It's really an experience-based product. And so was that part of sort of what intrigued you? I mean, are you, do you, do you yeah. value that kind of concept? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, which is that I was working for another brand at the time. And I believe I stole a pack of candescent joint papers off of a shelf space <laughs> a few years ago. And then I rem- mm. like, I, don't, I just remember that orange pack mm. and seeing that brand for the first time. Um, so it's funny that I'm working for them now. But one of the things I appreciated about my time at Wonder Brett was that I felt like because of the experience of the team and Brett, we were as an industry moving away from just looking at THC percentages for customers or you know what I mean? Like as an industry, we're moving away from that. And at Brett, we focused on terpenes and how things are grown and relaying that to customers. And so all in all, like effects-based. And so I remember Candescent from way back in the day from the papers and their mood and effects-based. And as an industry, that's something we're moving towards. Um, And they've been doing it. And I would say trying to perfect that craft. Strong effects game. Yeah, it's been a great learning experience getting on the brand side of things and 
very cool. I'm excited. I have lots, you know, of ideas, of course. Of course, of course. I'm excited to see how they sort of take what seems like a new push for them and pull that forward and what that that sort of materializes as for that brand. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm honestly, like, not going to lie, fairly impressed with the flower. I think they need to reconsider their price point because they're trying to compete with some serious heat. And while this is quality flower for the average upper middle class consumer, it's like a small amount of people in legal states where that applies. So like in Connecticut, this shit's going to crush. Like in three years when this shit, five years in this, when Candescent is in Connecticut, yeah. be the number one brand. Yeah. But we're in San Diego, California. And so do you think that you mentioned kind of earlier that the shift away from THC percentages and more into terpenes, do you think that that's applicable to the average San Diego consumer? I would like to hope that it is. And how do you think that that that's achieved? I come from a bud tender educational role. So that was my life. Live, breathe, sweat, you know, teach people. Well, you like it because this is why, you know, these two strains are similar because of X, Y, and Z. And that's why they make you feel that way in that 30 seconds I had to tell them that. And I appreciate, you know, brands like Wild, shout out, come on the podcast. We'll see you in the pod in Vegas. Are doing things like CBG and CBN is big now. And also, you know, the top three, for instance, terps being on the box of a flower is just super informational, you know, to the consumer who's looking at that percentage of CBD or THC or when it was packed. You know, other sites like Leafly, like I learned a shit ton about terps and effects just being on that a lot. So I think it's just more common knowledge. I hope it's spreading. Yeah, but I think that's the opportunity. People who smoke know. I, I think it's the opportunity too is to educate people so they know, right? Yeah. It's like, do you like craft beer? Yeah. What type of craft beer do you like? Most people are able to be like, I like fucking rural schnitzels or whatever the fuck these beers are. These people are drinking. Yeah. You know, they, if you know, I like, you know, hazy IPAs, right? People know that shit. They don't just drink craft beer. You don't just smoke weed, right? You know, you like lemonola or whatever the fuck you like. Right. So it's sort of like, I think that's where this is headed. And it'll be interesting to see if they take advantage of this information or if fall into the same traps that companies have out here. And it's this sort of recycled thing. Like at what, at what point does the a state market like New Jersey or Connecticut not make the same fucking mistakes that yeah. they're making in other states in Pennsylvania and elsewhere, you know? I think... In some ways, Candescent will be ahead of the curve because I think they're really trying to perfect the craft of growing select strains and making that consistent. And I think, you know, as more states become legal and Candescent is, you know, that that reputable brand, I would say that age range, like word of mouth is strong. So I would say they might be ahead of their of the curve and being might being able to like reproduce this scale in another. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how Candescent does in other States. But again, I think the, from the branding standpoint, it's there. It's going to be interesting to see how other States do period because for instance, New York is just the products are terrible. They're overpriced. It's all ground up weed. They're so far behind. I know it's so medical, but it's, it's so far behind. Uh, One of those things where people are just maximizing the amount of money they can make off of what they perceive as ignorant consumers. The problem is that consumers are not ignorant. They have, they have drug dealers and they have phone numbers they call and shit shows up. And 
the people that bring it are stoners half the time. So they're just telling inform they're doing the drug dealer doing a better job of informing the consumer about the products they're buying on the street than the dispensary is, than the brand is. And people rely on the person on the street because of it. So I think that's a major thing that brands need to do a better job of is not just giving discounts on things in the say, but explaining to a consumer, taking the time to educate consumers in any number of ways yeah. about terpenes. Yeah. I feel like I always used to just have those 10 minute conversations with my dealer about weed or something interesting. And you had the time to like sit down, pick up, you know, and you learned that way through that person and dispensaries have become such like in and out places. Where else can you really learn like one-to-one knowledge on what you're about to smoke or. Which only justifies my whole point of why retail experiences should be just like they're in Barcelona with lounges where the bud tender can literally come out from behind the bar in essence and sit with you and have an experience with you. Now, obviously the person that cashed you out can just decide to walk out and be there. But if you have six bud tenders and two of them are active and the four of them are in essence engaging the members. uh, Yeah, you're paying someone to smoke, ladies and gentlemen. It's called fucking weed. I'm sure bartenders don't ever drink on the job, right? And the guy at the cigar lounge he never smokes a fucking cigar tell me more about that bullshit later but anyways the point is the retail experience is not community driven here in america nor is it informative in a way where you have a reason to go back there uh the retail experience in america is no different than the liquor store you go to the closest fucking liquor store because they all have the same fucking shit at the same fucking price uh, and that's what the dispensaries are becoming. They're becoming the same shitty rundown liquor store that doesn't fucking matter where you go because it all is the same shit and it's all the same price. But that's another day. Uh, call us if you want to start a lounge retail. We got that on deck. So, so where do you think the industry is going? I mean, do you see what we have in these current models, the places that you worked, cookies, Wonder Bread? Do you see these businesses as sustainable? Yeah, I would say... Brands who care about their customer's opinion and their footprint on the earth. Mm. I see, you know, cannabis businesses trying to be more eco-friendly. Cannabis regulations, that's a different story with the stickers and packaging. I like companies that are innovative and creating new ways to be sustainable with anything from operations down to the customer experience and like what they're getting or whatever. And then I see us as definitely, you know, in that educator role, educating the consumers more about cannabinoids and effects and terpenes as you know we're learning more about it as we're doing research and as an industry learning about it i see us like in that educator roles and obviously i'm more on that social side of things and like finance or whatever but yeah i think sustainability is such an interesting topic because it can mean so many different things but they're all tied to sustainability which at the end of the day to me means like it's good for the planet. Like it's not good for a business to go out of business. Like just because you used recycled sea plastic to sell your joints, it's not good for you to go out of business. Yeah. Right. It's not sustainable for the people that work there. It's sustainable for the investors. Yeah. It's not sustainable for all the shit that you bought that didn't fucking sell because you yeah. went out of business or yeah. the, the garbage, you know, computer and all this other shit that's, that's worthless now, you know? And so then that's all the way down to the sustainability of the consumer, the consumer being able to come back and buy when they need to. I think the pricing of weed is crazy. Crazy. Two things. One, working at the trap shop 2018, all of the neon containers that were in the gutters and the paper bags, like 
the whole block was just devastating. And then it only got worse into the legal market and all of the hoops that we had to go through just to have products on the shelves and to be compliant. Also, you know, secondly, Candescent's cool in that their facilities were, I think, the first either in the desert or California, I'm not too sure, but to have solar panels. So like 20% of their mm. energy caught by solar energy. That's very nice. cool. Again, without the consumer, without the earth, uh, we're going to have problems selling these fancy jars. Yeah. Yeah. What have you seen on the social equity side of things? Uh, you know, is there an in enough initiative from what you've seen to promote social equity when there is, is it genuine? I, I think that's another aspect of sustainability and sustaining communities affected by the war on drugs rather than setting them up to be acquired by cookies or stizzy or whomever. Yeah, totally. Um, to be frank, it was awkward to be selling cannabis in an environment as Cookies Melrose, as like a white woman. You know, if you think about the demographic that came there, you know, how am I gonna smile and sell weed to people that, you know, other people were locked in jail for? Like that's an uncomfortable position. And I just, because of that, wanna do my part to like make sure that doesn't happen or to lessen that for anyone else or like whatever I can do. That's important to me. So I see the industry going that way as well. Like it's becoming more and more important to people and aware to other people that's happened or people haven't gotten free from getting arrested for what I'm doing now or was doing. Um, so I see that going candescent school. They have justice joints, um, smoked them. They were pretty cool. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that, that things like Last Prisoner Project, 40 Ton Brands, had both Andrew D'Angelo from Last Prisoner and Corbin Cooper on from, from 40 Ton. And, you know, there's a lot more of this push to incorporate these types of programs, joints, whatever, into the marketing budget. I just hope that people are there to hire people that get out of prison, that are there to empower people to get out of prison. You know, I know Biden's calling for people to request clemency if they have a cannabis conviction, things of that nature, but just enough to put people back to where they were and not help them get forward. And you can extend this to so many other things, but cannabis is, I've always said, is like the linchpin to so many social issues. And it's it's always overlooked for the, the issues themselves. Whereas it's like, if you legalize cannabis, all of these things sort of fall in place. Uh, I think in part, cannabis isn't legalized because of the same reason that abortion is still in jeopardy. People in the power that be want to have control over you and me and what goes into our bodies and how it affects us. So the legalization of cannabis is not a sure thing. And it could be a very flawed, weird looking thing, given how in jeopardy abortion is, you know, but it's important that social equity is prioritized and funded and given the right strategic and technology support rather than being used as a tool in, in some white guy's growth plan to make a bunch of millions. Yeah, I'm an advocate for collaboration and diversity mm. and good leadership. And diversity is nothing without diverse people in leadership. And that goes for people who have been affected, you know, by all of this. If they're not the ones being selected to be called on their experience and their knowledge, then what are we doing? You know, they're still not benefiting from this as an industry. Absolutely. 
All right, Claire. Well, let's wrap this up. Episode two of season four with the I'm with RG show. Our new co-host Claire Taylor just joined us, gave us a rundown of her and her past few moons worth of experience in the cannabis industry here. Give the people some shout outs and let people know where they can find you on social media and let them know your Venmo so that you can send your money <laughs> if they want to or whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I guess you can find me at Claire the boss. Claire the boss. Okay. On Instagram. Uh Uh-huh. Instagram, Venmo. That's pretty much what I go by anywhere. C-L-A-I-R-E. The boss. (laughs) Shout out to... Well, um, shout out to Sammy, you know, season one. I want to shout out Sammy from Axiom. If you haven't smoked there, his hash wraps, they're phenomenal. I want to get them at every dispensary near you, your neighborhood shop. They're so good. I'm very excited to be a co-host in season four. I look forward to the next episode. I look forward to seeing you guys in the booth at MJ Unpacked in Vegas in October. And I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to contribute to the industry and the communication or I don't know. Yeah, radio waves. We're here to we're here to make some fucking radio waves, y'all. So yeah, uh, at Claire the Boss on the old Instagram should be with us for season four. As mentioned, we'll be at MJ Unpacked in Las Vegas towards the middle end of October, as well as the LA Dead Show uh, on the 30th of October. So if y'all are hanging out and again, you have drugs that you need help smoking or imbibing, no, no crack or heroin for us, but any, any other psychedelics, research chemicals, you know, let's talk off camera, but we'll get weird with you. No problem. And we'll do business. That's the beautiful thing about hippies uh, like us. Uh, business hippies get shit done and they have fun. On that note, Claire Taylor, thanks so much for being a guest. Episode two here, season four. We've only just begun. I'm very excited to see what we come up with for the rest of the season because I have no fucking clue, y'all. But we're going to do some cool shit, I promise. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited to see what, what, what we create. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, y'all. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. I'm with my